The Daily Wire has taken a poll of America's political attitudes using a newly developed scientific method where we shout out the window at passersby, then duck back inside before they see us, then giggle when they look around in confusion. We asked our respondents, are you addicted to the feeling of outrage? 62% said they were outraged by the question. 27% showed up outside our houses carrying torches to terrorize our children. And 8% made a strangled, inarticulate noise of inexpressible rage, turned red in the face, then keeled over and had to be taken to the hospital for treatment. We asked respondents, can you see a way forward to reconciling with the political opposition? 40-12% said they would reconcile with those inhuman, unconscionable spawns of the devil when hell freezes over. 18% disagreed, saying it would be on the 12th of never. And 5% put on masks and painted swastikas on the walls of our building, shouting that we were mass Nazis. When we pointed out that they, in fact, were the mass Nazis, they were outraged at first, but then sheepishly admitted that, yes, they were the mass Nazis and went home to their mother's basements. Finally, we asked respondents, how do you feel about Donald Trump? 39% said they were outraged he would smile at such a moment. 19% said they were utterly disgusted he had said that. And 7% could not believe he would do such a thing. 44% said he was the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln. 32% said Lincoln was a cuck who wanted to watch black men sleep with his wife. And 12% said Trump was a man of God who lived out the meaning of the Gospels, whatever they are. When it was pointed out that that added up to 153%, we demanded a recount in Florida, and Al Gore was elected president. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, dipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we are back after a Clavenless weekend here in California. Terrible, terrible fires. Uh, my neighborhood was just had a lot of smoke, but some of these fires have been an absolute disaster in Malibu, uh, up in the, in the north, uh, Chico Paradise, which is the first place my wife and I ever went on vacation together. Uh, something like 31 people are known dead, but hundreds are missing. It's a, genu- it's a genuine tragedy. And uh, thank God for the firemen and the first responders who are out there battling it, they down here, uh, they seem to have made real inroads in, in fighting it. Uh, you got to stave off the Clavenless weekend. That's the answer. And the way, best way to do this is to listen to Another Kingdom. For subscribers, the new episode of Another Kingdom is out now, performed by the lovely and talented Michael Knowles, or at least lovely, sort of. Uh, you know, today, subscribers get exclusive access to, access to episode seven, which is titled The Secret of Horror Mansion. And the secret is revealed. If you're not a subscriber, never fear. You can listen to the entire episode on Friday via YouTube and SoundCloud. But only subscribers get to watch the full, beautiful uh, visual effects they've done. They really are amazing. Head on over to dailywire.com and subscribe to get the full first and second seasons of Another Kingdom once you subscribe, you get everything. You get Ben, you get Knowles, you get me, you get our mailbag. We answer your questions. I answer your questions and change your life, sometimes even for the better. And if you shell out a hundred bucks for the whole year, you get the leftist tears tumbler. Hopefully you're going to need it. Also, you want to talk about 23andMe. 23andMe is named for the 23 pairs of chromosomes 
that make up your DNA. And it's one of those things where I did it. It's one of those things where you spit into a vial and you send the vial in and they come back and they tell you a lot of your traits. You know, it shows you how your DNA breaks out across 150 plus regions worldwide, where you came from. You can link up with other people who share your, uh, you know, who share your DNA. You can see all kinds of information about yourself. It's, you know, I have to tell you, it's genuinely fun. It is genuinely fun to do. You can limit the information you want and get more information if you want. Uh, you get an ancestry composition report, a maternal and paternal haplogroup report. And if you don't know what a haplogroup is, you got to spit in the jar. <laughs> it will tell you DNA family and relative finder. And you can share and compare your genetic similarities and differences between you and your relatives. Now through Thanksgiving, 23andMe Ancestry service kits are only 49 bucks per kit when you buy two or more kits. That's 50% off the regular kit price of $99 this holiday. Order your 23andMe Ancestry service kit at 23andMe.com slash Clavin. That's the number 23andme.com slash Clavin. It will answer a lot of questions like, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So it's Veterans Day. It's Veterans Day Monday, I guess. Veterans Day was actually 11-11, uh, which is when World War I ended. It is exactly 100 years since the end of World War I. Seems like, to me, it's like only yesterday. But uh, it, is, it is a wonderful day. You know, it is a day to remember. It's, it's interesting. It's one of those days that hasn't quite lost its meaning. You know, Memorial Day, when we remember our war dead, uh, has become Barbecue Day, and it's become the beginning of summer. But Veterans Day really does retain its meaning in a lot of ways. And it's, it, it is a wonderful thing to remember the people who served, the people who did these. You know, I always say, you know, you don't, you don't just say thank you for your service, you say, you know, thank you for the walk in the park I took with my wife. Thank you for the fact that I can read a book. Thank you for the fact that I can do this show and go to the opera and all the different things that we do because we're kept safe. Because, you know, our military is doubly great. Our military is doubly great because it's not just that they fight and risk, risk themselves and put themselves in danger and are stand guard for us. It's what they fight for. You know, that makes such a difference. It really does matter. Uh, what what people are fighting for. And we have, I remember when the army went into Iraq, I believe it was the first time under a pre, the first President Bush when they went into Iraq and the war was over in like six days. And I remember them marching in and as they were marching in, people, the locals were throwing themselves at the soldiers' feet and clasping their feet and the soldiers were picking them up again. They didn't want to see people kneel. They didn't want to see people kneel to them uh, because... <laughs> They're Americans. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, that's what armies used to do. Armies used to come in and conquer. Where have our armies conquered? Nowhere. Where, where have they stayed? Nowhere. Sometimes they stay and help and, and patrol and keep the peace, but they never stay and say, oh, by the way, this is going to be your new prime minister. This is going to be your new president. We, you know, we don't do that. We don't empire build and we don't want people to bow down to us because we're Americans. I mean, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think, you know, I mean, when we remember them, when we remember the veterans, when we remember the soldiers, in the same way when we remember the firefighters, when we remember the policemen, it gives us a broader view of what our lives really are because you can fool yourself into thinking that you live a peaceful life. You can fool yourself into thinking that you're a pacifist, you're some kind of elevated creature who doesn't have to deal with the vagaries of evil, doesn't have to deal with the vagaries of violence. But in fact, you've just farmed that job out 
to someone else. I mean, if, if like me, you've never been in the military, which I deeply regret, by the way, but if you've never been, you realize you, you should, sometimes people would say to me, well, why do you, why do you express all this gratitude to the military? Aren't you a hypocrite? You're never in the military. No, that makes me more grateful to the people who were out there doing these things, making this life, life possible. And you know, it does seem to me that we owe them something. We, we don't owe them, you know, we don't owe our military some kind of super loyalty. We don't owe them any kind of sentimental respect. They're not above the law. They're not above the uh, uh, traditions and laws of our country. But we do owe them that we live in the way that they defend, which is one of the reasons I think it, it's so distressing at this moment. And it, this is a good moment to talk about this because the election is over. Some of our passions have cooled a little bit. It's distressing how outraged everybody is. I mean, all weekend long, all weekend long, I was looking at Twitter and I, I finally got off Twitter. I just stopped going on. But everything, everything outrages people. Every single thing outrages people. So it's like, you know, President uh, Trump uh, didn't go to some service in France to celebrate. Oh my God, I'm outraged. And he said something about the, the way the uh, forest is handled in California, which is actually true. It is a problem that causes some of these wildfires. Oh, I'm outraged. He smiled when Putin came in. Oh, I'm outraged. It's like everything. It's, you just think like, turn it the hell off, you know? I mean, turn it down, pal. You don't have to be outraged about every single thing. And that's why it really was, it really was a delight to see Dan Crenshaw go on. Did you see this where Dan Crenshaw went on? Remember Pete Davidson, the comedian, he does this, this thing, this routine on the evening update, and it's called uh, First Impressions, when he looks at somebody's face and makes stupid jokes about you know, how stupid they look. And they're all directed at Republicans and none of them are directed at Democrats. And he made one about Dan Crenshaw, who was at the time running for and has now won a congressional seat in Texas and who lost his eye uh, fighting in Afghanistan. It was, I think it was his third tour. And then when his eye, when they told me he was going to be blind, his, he got his sight back and he went back in. And everybody said, you know, this was a bad thing to do. Left and right all said, look, it's, it's an ugly, stupid joke. You shouldn't have made it. And Davidson actually apologized in an amazing moment, and we'll get to it in just a minute. But first, we have to talk about Robin Hood. Now, Robin Hood, you know, I always try and uh, try out the sponsors so I can recommend them, you know, honestly to you. And this is, Robin Hood is an app that helps you invest. It kind of teaches, it's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free, and they strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. So I didn't have time to try this out, so I assigned it to the Katies. There's two wonderful young ladies named Kate and Katie, who uh, Caitlin and Katie, who basically run my life. And so I, I gave it to them, and they're now driving limousines. They come in in a Bentley. No, they don't, but they had a great time. And it was, it was educational. You know, other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, trade stocks, and keep all of your profits. It's got easy-to-understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps, on your smartphone, and it helps you learn how to invest as you build your portfolio and to discover new stocks and track favorite companies. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at claven.robinhood.com. That's claven.robinhood.com. And you can really, you can learn a lot. Like, how do you spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So let's take a look at Pete Davidson actually apologized, and he seemed actually to mean it. He went on and he apologized, and then Crenshaw himself showed up on the show. If any good came of this, 
Maybe it was that for one day, the left and the right finally came together to agree on something. That I'm a <laughs> You think? <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Dave Crenshaw, everyone, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for making a Republican look good. Oh, you gotta stop saying that, man. He's been saying it all day. Please. Look, I just wanted to say, uh, for people that don't know, uh, the reason you're wearing an eye patch right now is that you lost your eye to an IED in Afghanistan during your third combat tour. And uh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate you saying that. So we good? We're good. Apology accepted. Just keep breathing. Sounds like my phone's ringing. You gonna answer that? No, and I'm just gonna let it ring because that's rude to answer. Let's just let it go to voicemail. No, it's cool. Ariana is cool, man. Yeah. Oh, do you know her? <laughs> Ariana Grande on his cell phone, the ringtone on his cell phone. She dumped uh, Davidson, so like that, that, that. So and then they started zinging each other back and forth, and it was genuinely funny. It was genuinely cute stuff. Crenshaw was very good at it. He knew what he was doing. And, and you know, they then actually moved on to deliver a serious message. And let, let me just play that first, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I think about this, because it really was... It was an interesting moment and interesting how rare it is these days when basically, uh, you know, everybody stands his ground and everybody hates everybody else. Let's 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 play this. There's a lot of lessons to learn here, not just that the left and right can still agree on some things, but also this Americans can forgive one another. We can remember what brings us together as a country and still see the good in each other. This is Veterans Day weekend which means that it's a good time for every American to connect with a veteran. Maybe say thanks for your service, but I would actually encourage you to say something else. Tell a veteran, never forget. When you say never forget to a veteran, you are implying that as an American, you are in it with them, not separated by some imaginary barrier between civilians and veterans, but connected together as grateful fellow Americans. who will never forget the sacrifices made by veterans past and present. And never forget those we lost on 9-11, heroes like Pete's father. So I'll just say, Pete, never forget. Never forget. Uh, see, uh, you know, you can, you can make fun of this as a kumbaya moment. You can uh, be overly sentimental about it. I think it's simply a good thing. It is a good thing. Guy made a mistake. He's a comedian. He's supposed to push the limits. We all get this. My objection is always that there's only pushing the limits in one direction. They're not always pushing the limits to the left, never to the right. That is a problem, but it's not his problem. I mean, he's just part of this uh, system. He is not the creators of the system. It would be the guys who are his bosses who could hire some conservative com comedians to make that balance. But, but, we just had an election. The, you know, I, I, I know the recount is going on and people are throwing charges at one another and we'll try and get to that. But in the meantime, in the meantime, I, you know, I just started thinking about my life, which stretches out over now a long period of time, I think it's from 1862, I believe it is, to today. And, you know, I was thinking about where do we stand? I mean, you know, everybody, uh, Yuval uh, Levin wrote this book, I, I think it was called Fractured Consensus, something like that. I, we, we had him on the show a long time ago. But, but the idea was that everybody measures the country against the 50s. 
And the 50s, of course, were an anomalous period. They were a great period in American, in American life, but they were anomalous. They were odd, out of place, because we had just defeated everybody. Like, all our competitors were in rubble. We had no economic competitors. We had to give people money so they could compete with us. Uh, you know, we had to bring all these countries back. And the people who had fought had seen so much death, so much killing, that they basically wanted to settle down. And there was kind of a, a containment of that sexual urge that makes people go crazy and makes societies fall apart. And so it was contained under marriage. All those things were good. But of course, there were also bad things. And when they go back and criticize and say, oh, you know, black people were mistreated in the 50s, that stuff is true. You know, that stuff is true. And let's not talk, let's for a minute not talk about Republican and Democrat. Right? Let's just talk about conservative and liberal ways of being. Because they're liberal. I, you know, I, I guess I, in many ways, I'm a liberal Republican. But there are cons let's just talk about the ideas of conservative and liberal. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that a black man could be elected president. I mean, when I was a kid, the idea of that happening, was it was almost unthinkable, almost unthinkable that an American whose skin was black could be elected president. I mean, that was when like Bill Cosby was coming up and you would, you would say, oh, here's the first black man to star in a television show. First, you know, black comedian to, you know, sit. I, re I remember, what, who was it? It was Harry Belafonte, I think, and, and Julia, Julie Andrews, I think, uh, I, or maybe Petulia Clark, I'm not quite sure, where he she kissed him on the cheek or something, and that was a tremendous moment. I mean, the idea that a black man could be elected president, and yes, I'm sorry he was an incompetent fool, you know? I'm sorry he was an incompetent leftist corrupt guy, you know? I'm sorry about that. But the fact that the people just went to the polls and they said, yeah, whatever, you know, this is the guy I believe in. He was running as a centrist at the time, and they thought, yeah, sure, I'll vote for him. That That's a change, and that's a liberal change, okay? I'm not saying conservatives oppose the civil rights movement. And I know Republicans never opposed the civil rights movement. Republicans were always on board with it. But I'm saying that's a liberal attitude, that something has to change, right? That something has to be different. Uh, you know, I think it's a good thing. I'm sorry the Supreme Court has gotten involved in this. I really am. But I think it's a good thing that gay people don't have to live a shadow existence, that a cop can't come into a bar and say, oh, you know, you're gay. I can arrest you simply for being gay, you know, which used to be true. You used to be able to do it. The state essentially had the power, essentially had the power to come into your house if, if they thought they could find you being gay. And it was a crime. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. But things like that did happen. People did cop, vice cops did go into bars and just uh, arrest people. They did shut down gay bars, you know, and whether you think being gay is a sin per se or not, whether you think that this is something that people are going to have to talk to God about at some point, doesn't matter. It's a question of what the state should be able to do. The state should not be able to curtail the consensual non-harmful adult sexual lives of, of people. That's not something we want the state, I want the state to be doing. It's better. It is better this way, okay? There are things that are worse. There are things that are worse, and there are things that, obviously, as I always say, radicalism ruins everything, radicals ruin everything. I'm not talking about radicals. I'm talking about conservatives and liberals. We need each other. We actually need each other. What do conservatives do? Conservatives conserve the traditions and institutions that help us be free. We can't be free if the family falls apart. We can't be free if all our churches go by the boards. There's never been, I mean, this is, Europe is the first like non-religious country, and I think it's going down the drain. Europe is the first non-religious culture, and I think it's going down the drain. And I think that we defend, conservatives defend places that support, they hold up the roof of the country. 
You know, if everybody were just a wild, flaming, uh, you know, radical, the place, believe me, would be in chaos within moments. How do we know that? Look at San Francisco. Look at most of L.A. When, when leftists are in total control, things begin to fall apart. And there's a wonderful thing about American conservatives in general, right? Because conservatism is frequently defined in defensive terms. Conservatism is what you want to conserve. And when you're conserving something, you're defending it from attack. But American conservatives, and this is something, I mean, I've talked about this at length, but American conservatives are defending a liberal document. American conservatives are defending the Constitution. And why do I say it's liberal? It's because it's built for change. It is built to allow change to happen in a certain way. In a certain, there's a certain system of change built into the Constitution. This short, brilliant document that has kept us free for over 200 years, it is built for what, what I would call Burkean change. Edmund Burke said, change will come, change has to come, but it should come in keeping with your traditions. It should follow the path worn into the ground by your traditions. And that is what the Constitution does. So conservatives are essential. American conservatives, unlike European conservatives, are essentially liberal. They believe in change. They just believe in change in keeping with the laws and the traditions. And that's why we have these arguments where the left says, oh, how wonderful the Supreme Court has said that gay marriage is a right. And we say, no, it, whether or not we're a conservative who supports gay marriage or not, and there are some who do, whether or not we say, no, that's not the way to do it. The way it's, we do it is we fight and we argue and we squabble, and then we pass laws in our states and in our communities. And those are the things that should rule, not five guys in Washington with lifetime appointments deciding that this is the way it should be. You know, And so we have this kind of wonderful thing in an imaginary world. In an imaginary world, liberals and conservatives should be able to talk. We used to be able to talk. We really did. It is true. I mean, I, I, I went through times that were far worse than this, far more div divisive than this, when leaders were being killed, when uh, universities were on fire. But I've also lived through times when we could talk. We could sit down and say, hey, the liberals would say, you know, yes, yes, I love America, but here are people who are not being served. And conservatives would push back and say, well, if you change this, this will go wrong because conservatives can trace the dots of any change to the apocalypse. But ultimately, with arguing, with yelling at one another, we could, in a, in a civilized way, go forward. Why can't that happen now? And you know what I think. You know what I believe. I believe it has a lot to do with the media. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, let me talk about Candid Co. Now, this is another one that, instead of trying this, I gave it to Knowles, okay? Because <laughs> Candid Co. is a way, is helping people gain confidence through accessible and affordable orthodontic care. Candid makes the process of straightening your teeth convenient and easy by having the customer take the process into their own hands. You get straighter and brighter teeth in an average of six months, and it costs 65% less than braces. There are no office visits needed. Everything is delivered to your home. We had Knowles, you know, uh, do this, and when he started, he looked, as you've seen him, I mean, it was hideous, right? And now he is the beautiful man who is doing another kingdom today. You get white glove customer service. In addition to email and phone support, Candid will set up a video call with you to answer any questions you have and to walk you through the modeling process. Try this out. You're one step away from getting straighter, whiter teeth. Take advantage of Candid's risk-free modeling kit guarantee. Plus, when you use my dedicated link, candidco.com slash Clavin, you'll save 25% on your modeling kit. That's candidco.com slash Clavin 
to get 25% off the price of your modeling kit, candidco.com slash Clavin. You, your teeth will just be beautiful when you say, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right, we're going to have to break away. But first, let me say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. You can still listen on YouTube, but you come over to dailywire.com. You can hear the whole show and you'll start to say to yourself, you'll start to have this weird sense of yearning, of longing. You'll say, why can't I just subscribe? And then I could watch the entire show streamed live on the website. I'd never have to leave the website. I'd get news, I'd get Clavin, I'd get Shapiro, I'd get Knowles, every Walsh. It would all be right there for you for a lousy 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks for the entire year, plus another kingdom. But the most important reason, the most important reason to give us our, your money is because we want your money so much. We just, I, it's, it's terrible. I mean, you, if I, you could see behind the scenes, you would just see people saying, please, please give us your money. Give us your money. It's what makes this place work. And this place is, I, is, I think, making a genuine difference in the culture. It's genuinely new voices that are being heard because of us. Shell out. Shell out, and you get everything, everything you could ever want in a website. Come on over to dailywire.com, listen to the rest of the show, and subscribe. So, you know, we were talking about the way, I'm talking about the way, the media, and I've said this, of course, that I think that the, the problem we have, the reason we can't talk is that the media stands between left and right, and it is 8% of the people, the radical left, are running 85% of the media. And by the media, I don't just mean your, whatever, however you're getting your news. I'm talking about Hollywood. I'm talking about, you know, uh, social media. Social media, essentially, I, I, I told you, you know, there, were, there was a, it was amazing to watch social media over this weekend. I think a lot of people just took the weekend off and weren't on it. So the only people who were left were like angry people. You know, I'm so, I'm outraged. I'm outraged. You go like, what are you outraged? I'm outraged. You would ask me why I'm outraged. I'm outraged because my outrage is so outrageous that I'm outraged. I mean, it was like endless. endless. I started to crack up after a while. I thought this is like kind of funny. The, the uh, University of Pennsylvania did a study where they came up with this using less social media than you normally do leads to significant decreases in both depression and loneliness. These effects are particularly pronounced for folks who were more depressed when they came into the study. So in other words, you get more depressed if you use too much social media. Now, I'm always a little leery of studies like this. And I'll tell you why. I'm a little leery of studies like this because in America, we don't believe in limits. Like it never occurs to anybody saying, yeah, use social media, but don't use it all the time. Don't use it every minute. You know, they do these studies of video games. They'll say, you know, 23 hours of video games a day makes you violent. You know, it's like 23 hours of doing anything a day would make you violent. After a while, you go, I hate doing what I'm doing. I don't do anything else. I mean, it's addiction. It's addiction that makes people crazy. And some of this stuff is addictive. It is built to be addictive. And one of the reasons it's addictive is because it touches off this outrage thing. This outrage thing feels Good. You know, outrage feels good. I've always tell you, anger is the devil's cocaine. It feels good. It feels righteous. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but anger is never righteousness itself. And that's what it feels like. It feels like when you're being angry. I mean, even even if you're celebrating Veterans Day, you'll feel hear people say like, well, we celebrate it, but they don't say, you know, it's I'm outraged. I'm outraged. So you know, all of this, of course, circles on Donald Trump. 
And Donald Trump has made, you know, Donald Trump is, is an obstreperous character. He is not the most polite character in the world. I've, and, 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 you know, the, why do I complain about this? People always say, oh, you're clutching your pearls. No, I complain about it because I know there'll be a price. There is a price to pay. There was a price to pay in this last election, you know? I mean, like, it's now coming down to we may lose 40 seats in Congress, which is not a blue wave, but it's a bigger wave. Why? Why when everything's going well? It's all about his impoliteness. It's all about his affect, the way he appears to people. But as I keep saying, as I keep saying, it didn't start with Trump. And that is an important difference. It's an important thing for understanding. You know, Maureen Dowd, who I always have maintained some kind of vestigial respect for Maureen Dowd because she stood up during the Clinton scandals when Clinton was diddling his intern young enough to be his daughter. And she said, no, it's not all right. She actually stood up for her beliefs, which I just respected. And she got a lot of flack. I think she got death threats. She said from the left, it was the left attacking her. Why are you doing this to our our president? You know, so she (laughs) writes this thing, this column. This is on Knucklehead Row. Do we have Knucklehead Row? We should play Knucklehead Row. Do we have it? Hit it. Knucklehead Row, of course, is the op-ed section of the New York Times, a former newspaper. And Maureen Dowd, who is one of the knuckleheadiest of the knuckleheads, even though I do have this, as I say, I have respect for her, she writes, who's the real American psycho? She says, Donald Trump is such a menace that it's tempting to cheer any vituperative critic and grab any handy truncheon. But villainizing Trump should not entail sanitizing other malefactors. Now, that what she's saying here is just because other Republicans attack Trump doesn't mean we should like other Republicans. They all stink. Okay. She says war criminals. She's talking, who is she talking about? She's talking about George W. Bush. War criminals turned liberal heroes are festooned with book and TV contracts, podcasts, and op-ed purchase. Ooh, we shouldn't allow that. We shouldn't allow those other people to have a voice. Those who sold us the cakewalk Iraq war and the outrageously unprepared Sarah Palin and torture as enhanced interrogation. Those who left the Middle East shattered with a cascading refugee crisis and a rising ISIS, which was Obama, by the way. And those who midwife the birth of the Tea Party. Ooh, Americans who don't want to spend as much money and don't want to be taxed. Ooh, that's bad. Are, they're washing away their sins in a basin of Trump hate, okay? So do not forget that while you're hating Trump, do not forget to hate the Tea Party and all the other normal Americans who sometimes speak out against him. Just because they speak out against Trump does not mean you should curtail your outrage. Be outraged. You must be outraged. The very same, Maureen Dowd goes on, the very same Republicans who eroded America's moral authority in the 2000s are staggeringly being treated as the new guardians of America's moral authority. How can this be? They bellow that Trump is a blight on democracy. But where were these patriots when the Bush administration was deceiving us with a cooked up war in Iraq? Something that never happened, by the way. George W. Bush never deceived anybody into war with Iraq. All he did was tell the the American people the intelligence he had. But never mind. Never mind. The point Maureen Dowd is making is hate Trump. But don't forget to hate everybody, all the other Republicans as well, okay? And at least that's honest. At least that's honest. They're not saying, oh, this started with Trump. They're saying, we've hated you all this time. 
never occurs to her that maybe a Trump is a reaction to all that hatred she was pouring on people. To, to hate George W. Bush, to call him a war criminal, to say that he lied us into war is just factually untrue and morally stupid, okay? But this is the way, this is the way we get this stuff. When I say, what's the problem? Why can't we talk when, when conservatives and liberals need each other? When we need each other, we need liberals to tell us, oh, this guy isn't being served. We need conservatives to say, all right, let's solve that problem, but let's solve it in our traditional con uh, constitutional way. We need that. That is the dance of progress. That's how progress happens. It entails argument, but it doesn't have to entail hatred. What's getting in the way? It's that. It's that. It's these people day after day speaking to their base, telling them, don't forget, don't forget, you know, it's not enough hate. Hey, Donald Trump, it's good that you hate Donald Trump. That's a good thing, but you're not hating enough. You're not outraged enough. You're not mean enough. You're not. And that's how we get this stuff, like what's happening to Tucker Carlson, which is a sin and it's disgusting. It is awful. This thing that where they're terrorizing uh, Tucker Carlson, we played, we played the video clip of them outside shouting, you're not safe. We know where you sleep. And now the people who were at the demonstration are writing in Think Pro Progress, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad when we showed up when his wife and children were, his, his children are older, but like, you, you know, they were in the house. It, it was just about a dozen protesters, he writes, we visited, we visited. We visited. <laughs> These people, we visited Tucker Carlson's home Wednesday evening with signs, a megaphone, and a tambourine. And the megaphone gets a little lost in there. You're standing outside a guy's house. His house, you know, not outside Fox News, not outside some institution. You're standing outside the man's house with a megaphone, but the tambourine makes it okay. He says, the incident, video of which was taken offline shortly after being posted, has prompted an aisle-crossing outcry, fueled in part by Carlson's own significant embellishments of what occurred while he wasn't home. I was there for the entirety of the 10-minute demonstration. He goes on making excuses for it. It's hateful. You, when you do that to someone, that's hateful. That's fascistic. You, you're terrorizing the guy's family who have nothing to do with it in the first place. And you're demonizing speech. Tucker Carlson talks for a living. There is a button on your TV. It will turn, Tucker, you can make Tucker Carlson disappear. You don't have to terrorize him. You don't have to go to his house. You can make him disappear. So now there's this new story. Michael Avenatti, creepy porn lawyer, <laughs> Michael Avenatti, has taken on the case. People who hire Michael Avenatti ought to see what happens to his last clients. Taken on the case of Juan Manuel Granados because he says Carlson was berating him at the Charlottesville Farmington Country Club on October 13th. He says the violence, the, the vid a video shows Carlson shouting, you better get the F out of here multiple times while an unidentified man grabs Granada's shirt. He says, we're investigating, then he plays the identity card, right? We're investigating an alleged assault on a gay Latino immigrant. Ooh. Here's Car what Carlson says happening. He says, I had dinner with two of my children and some family friends at the country club in Charlottesville, Virginia. So at the end of the meal, my 19-year-old daughter went to the bathroom with a friend on their way back through the bar. A middle-aged man stopped this 19-year-old girl and asked if she was sitting with Tucker Carlson. My daughter had never seen the man before. She said, that's my dad, and pointed to me. And the man re responded, are you Tucker's whore? And then called her words that I can't repeat, but you can imagine, right? She came back to the table, this 19-year-old girl, this middle-aged man is going after a 19-year-old girl. What happened? What has to go through your head before you do that? 
What has to go through your head before you do that? What kind of poison is in your mind before a guy my age or maybe, you know, within, the, within 20 years of my age goes after a 19-year-old girl? Think about it. Think about the toxins that were poured in there by people like Maureen Dowd, by people like our media, telling him, hate, 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 hate. This is, this is Hitler. This is, we're in a handmaid's tale. This is a disaster. That's what, you know, shapes that guy's brain. When uh, she came back to the, to the table, Tucker's son, who's also a student, went in and confronted the man. Uh, he threw a glass of red wine in his face, and Carlson went in and, and confronted him. He said, I love my children. It took enormous self-control not to beat the man with a chair, which is what I wanted to do. And I think any father can understand the overwhelming rage and shock that I felt seeing my teenage daughter attacked by a stranger. This has nothing to do with identity politics. I didn't know the man was gay or Latino. Not that it would have mattered. Of course, it didn't matter. Once you start saying that a point of view, an entire point of view, I mean, it, it, it's unlikely, it is unlikely that you have caught hold of the tale of morality. It is unlikely that you are alone, have caught hold of the banner of morality and everybody else who disagrees with you is living in evil and sin. That, the odds of that happening are just about zero, okay? Just about, there are just about no odds that that's true. So once you start saying that, right, once you start saying that, you're turning yourself into a terrorist. You're turning yourself into a clown who attacks a 19-year-old girl and calls her unrepeatable names. You know, you, you don't want it to happen to you. It's not the way to a happy life. Beside the fact that you're doing wrong, beside the fact that you're making other people miserable, it is not the way to a good life. And that's why, you know, some of this stuff that's happening in Florida, this recount stuff, where they're trying to say, oh, you know, Rick Scott didn't win the election, and Andrew Gillum, the guy who lost uh, governor, he conceded, then he took back his concession. They're trying to say, oh, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. This shouldn't be going on. They're recounting it. And of course, it's, some of it is happening in Broward County, which we remember is a place, there's this woman there. Her name is Brenda Snipe. She is in charge of, uh, she's the Broward County Supervisor of Elections. Even the left admits, even the left admits that this woman is an incompetent. During the uh, 2004 presidential election, Snipes blamed the U.S. Postal Service for losing 58,000 absentee ballots, then later announced that only 6,000 ballots had disappeared and the postal officials said they'd done nothing wrong. She's just, <coughs> pardon me, she's just on one thing after another. Uh, she, a court ruled that Snipes broke election law when she destroyed ballots from the 2016 election 12 months after the election. Uh, election results of the 2016 primary were posted on the election office's website before the polls closed. She's just at least an incompetent and possibly a possibly, uh, you know, corrupt. And so Trump complains about this. And he says, you know, they're trying to steal these elections here and in Arizona, where now uh, uh, cinema, it seems, is the winner of the Senate contest, which is also kind of hard to believe. So Joe Lockhart, a Clinton uh, press secretary, Bill Clinton's press secretary, goes on, and this is what he has to say about Trump challenging these election results. The really insidious thing, though, is um, what Trump is doing. He's basically trying to undermine at every turn. It's not just Florida. He weighed in on Arizona. Mm -hmm. he, he's weighed in on other races. He's undermining the legitimacy of elections. Where he and doesn't like the results. Where, where he doesn't like the results. And that is a hallmark of a failing democracy, of someone moving towards an authoritarian, where he says, fake news. Don't believe what you see. Only believe what I say. 
That is very troubling. And, you know, as, as one of my old bosses famously said, the fish rots from the head. And all of the, he's providing cover for all of these people to say outrageous things. The fish rots from the head. I wonder which one of his old bosses, it wouldn't happen to have been Clinton, would it, who suborned perjury, got everybody around him to lie for him? The fish rots from the head. But think about, you know, again, I, I keep saying that there's no word for absolute obliviousness to your own failings, you know, and, they, and then they call it whataboutism. But really, really, when you're talking about not accepting the results of an election, when all we've heard since Jeff Sessions was fired, all we've heard is, oh my God, they're endangering the sacred Mueller investigation into Trump's insidious Russian collusion that cost, I mean, you know, when, when Trump complains about possible corruption in Florida, the New York Times, a former newspaper, all, all of the former news outlets come out and they say, without proof, Trump makes an accusation. Well, where's the proof of Russian collusion? And yet here we've had this two-year, multi-million dollar investigation that has dominated the news, that has resulted in people being uh, indicted and convicted for things that had nothing to do with Donald Trump. And now this is the big deal because uh, Trump has fired Sessions to the point where unbelievably, unbelievably leftists have taken to the street to protest the firing of one of, of what's his name, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III. They are, uh, they are actually protesting the firing of one of the most conservative people uh, in the government. They should listen to Maureen Dowd. Don't forget to hate all the other conservatives while you're out at, at it. And, and here he is saying, oh, Donald Trump, this is the sign. This is the sign. When somebody questions the result of an election, when somebody questions the result of an election, that's the sign that the fish is rotting from the head. And, you know, this is all the Democrats have done for the last two years is question the legitimacy to the point where they are questioning all our institutions. The Senate's no good because it's not representative. The Electoral College is no good because it's not representative. Everything has to change. Everything has to change because they lost. They lost. I mean, this is the thing. This is the, what the media is doing. What our veterans are fighting for, fought for, and are fighting for is our right to disagree, our right to argue, the process by which through arguing we make decisions together and move on and move forward. This is what made, we didn't get here through radicalism. We got here through the Constitution. You know, we, need, we do need each other. It is this enormous communications industry, not just the news media, Hollywood, the Academy, social media, all of it dominated by 8% of the country. It is this structure that stands like a wall between us. And we need to find a way without violating the First Amendment. We need to find a way to tear that wall down. All right, let's take a look at our crappy culture. So this, this ad goes beyond the crappy right to satanic. Uh, this is an ad being put out by Planned Parenthood. I'm going to play the ad, but uh, Rob, leave my mic on because it's for people who can't see it. Uh, it, it won't have the effect. Uh, play the ad and I'm just going to narrate it. So what you're seeing is an absolutely gorgeous uh, baby girl, I think it is. And it says she deserves to be loved. And then she comes back and she's here laughing. And it says she deserves to be wanted. She deserves to be a choice. And then 
it, it says stand with PP, stand with hashtag stand with PP, stand with Planned Parenthood. So they're showing you a picture of one of the most beautiful children on earth to get your support for the killing of children. That's what they're doing. There's no getting around this. There's no getting around it. That's what they're doing. They're showing you the picture. And what is so upsetting to me about this, two things are upsetting to me. One, it's satanic. And two, it represents an attitude that I used to have. And that makes me feel, as you can imagine, it is not a good feeling to see this satanic thing and realize I was once that guy. Because the theory behind this, the theory behind this is that we have no identity ourselves. Our identity is somehow, this was a theory that was very popular a while back. Our identity is a con- the connections we have with other people. So in other words, none of us is a man unto himself, a woman unto himself. All of us are just the relationships that we have. And so those relationships give you legitimacy. Now, listen, relationships are important. We've come to uh, fruition through relationships. That's one of the things conservatives try to conserve is the relationships we have, the traditions, the associations, the churches, all those things that we try to conserve. But even a man on a desert island is a man. Even a woman on a desert island is a woman. Even a baby in the womb is a baby. And once you take away from that person his, his, the sacred identity that is his and hers alone, his or hers alone, you have taken away everything, everything. They have a value and they have, you've made their lives dependent on your choice. You want to talk about being pro-choice? I am pro-choice, but you do not have a choice to end somebody else's life. That is a truly satanic ad. And it makes me sad to remember that I once held opinions very much like that. All right. We will be back here, right here tomorrow. Come over to see The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.